Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Hi, and welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the marvelous Francisco Valenzuela. Francisco, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me on your show. Francisco, whereabouts are you located? Well, right now I'm actually up at site, and that is north of Port McMurray, Alberta, Canada. I'm at an oil sands extraction mine. Fantastic. We're discussing the weather before. Just for the listeners, what temperature is it up there now? Uh, it's spring has started and it's a wonderful minus five degrees Celsius. Good for summer. Good for summer, I guess. <laughs> All right. Francesco, I know a little bit about you because I've done a little bit of research, but for the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you currently do and how you got into safety? So I've been, I'm currently a health and safety advisor up at this oil sands mine, and I've been doing health and safety now for the better part of 20 years. It'll be actually 20 years exactly. Here in Canada, we have our designation. It's a Canadian registered safety professional. So I attained that in 2011. But my journey into safety started, I was doing some pipeline work just as a laborer right out of high school. And was learning kind of the ropes that way, pipelining just in my local area. So I was actually home every night, even though I may have had long days, I did get to sleep in my own bed for essentially the first, let's see, that was 1993, the first, uh, you know, 15, at least 15 years of my, my oil and gas career here in Canada. And uh, in, in between, I took, I decided to, I wanted to try and become a paramedic. 
and realized shortly into the in into that that I actually preferred to be on the proactive side rather than the treatment side of of you know taking care of people so my studies in occupational health and safety and started working fly in fly out essentially away from home back in May of 2010 and haven't looked back from that lifestyle since yeah, I fly, fly in and fly out. It's an interesting work type arrangement uh, and it's got some unique challenges. Now, you're passionate about FIFO industry and some of the challenges it presents. Can you tell us about some of the challenges that people who start this lifestyle, because it ends up being a lifestyle, it's not just work, some of the things that they're actually facing? I guess one of the things is that we're not really prepared for it when we go into it. We we tend to romanticize it a little bit. So you go in, hey, I get to fly to work, you know, every two weeks, fly to work and back, you know, two weeks on, two weeks off or longer. When I first started, my rotations were longer and my time off was shorter. But the work is super exciting. It pays considerably better than your work when you work when you're home-based. So that's kind of one of the the biggest draws of it. The one thing is, is you're not really aware of the challenges or the hazards of it. When you go in, you don't realize what it's going to be like for your family because they experience fly in, fly out very differently to how you experience it. You're away from home. You miss home. They have you, they see you, you're away. And they say, well, you don't have to clean. You don't have to cook and you can watch TV all the time. And there's a, you gain kind of a bit of a disconnect with your partner and your family if you don't keep those lines of communication open and honestly really transparent as to what life is like on both sides. So that's that's a big challenging. Parenting young children is is hard because oftentimes young children don't understand why dad or mom's gone for so long. And when they come back, you sometimes run the risk of being, you know, I'll say Disney dad or you know, when your partner gets tired of you just being the fun parent and they're always disciplining, then you almost switch roles. And then for a while there, I was the one that always dishing out the punishments, the groundings, all those things. And my nickname became the meaner because I was meaner than mine. <laughs> so yeah, it was a challenge. Oh dear. I think you've kind of covered a lot of the things that I experienced in FIFO for what I did for a while. Oh, look, you're so right. You're so right. My lovely wife told me once it was for her when I went away that she found it to be like being a single parent and she was having to raise the kids and that and I knew on the flip side I was missing out on all these significant events in the kids lives as well as my, my lovely wife's life it can create a lot of tension it can create a lot of internal stress it's not for everyone and and you're right no one ever tells you what the situation is before you go into it it's it's all sold to us as in the good dollars because that's why we do it but none of the uh, perhaps problems with it what's some of the some of the effects for workers who are basically plonked in the middle of nowhere in remote areas sometimes with very poor or limited communications how what's some of the problems they face so I've been very fortunate in that I've always had good internet connection. So 
you've been able to communicate with family that way. But one of the biggest challenges we had up here during the pandemic was we were isolated at work, so you couldn't kind of work alongside your workmates. Mm-hmm. So there was the the physical separation of that, plus wearing the masks. And then even the masks impacted how well you could work for, for the guys with their PPE, right? So safety glasses would fog. And then it's in the wintertime, so your safety glasses fog, you get the anti-fog ones. So then the water beads on the glasses, but when it's minus 30 or 40 outside, that turns to ice almost instantly. So then you can't see and do your work and you're still wearing your, your mask as well as being isolated back at camp. And that was one of the, the mitigations or controls that we had to provide for our folks so that we'd be allowed to continue to work was the separation. So you'd come back to camp, you'd go pick up your food in the dining hall. You wouldn't be able to eat in the dining hall with people you'd have to take it back to your room. So you were isolated during the day at work, then you were isolated back in your room at camp. And then for some of the folks, Canada is a huge country, kind of like Australia. And then we had folks on the other side of the country where their isolation protocols were such that they had to be, they had to self-isolate from family members for 14 days before they could commingle. So then there were, we had people that didn't actually see their families. I, I had a couple colleagues that they didn't go home for six months and the impact that was for them, their families, this individual really struggled that I know he had a very close relationship with his granddaughter and he wasn't able to see, see her for six months, a little more than six months. And she wasn't able to see him other than just a little picture on a phone when they'd FaceTime. So psychologically it was it was very difficult and and just even the worry of covid some families were even bullied in their communities because well you know people would be like well why are you letting your husband your wife your partner come come back when they could have covid because of the travel all the travel that that they did or that we do in this lifestyle so very challenging COVID was very hard on our people and I saw just that that resilience just start wearing on our people over the course of the pandemic and I'm sure it was the same everywhere in the world it was a very 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 hard time for folks yeah yeah oh dear isolated isolated from your your family isolated from your workmates it must have been particularly trying if you had any underlying sort of mental health conditions Oh, absolutely. And oftentimes, and it's probably the same over over there, like our workforce is predominantly male up here at our at our site. So we're definitely over 85% male. And you know, as you know, particularly my generation, I'm almost I'm getting close to 50. But we're terrible at asking for help mm. or showing our emotions or all those things. So a lot of people often didn't ask for help. And yeah, so the, all those isolations and then going home and then having almost that, I'll say that stereotypical stoic facade about everything's so good, nothing phases me. You've got worries about, oh my goodness, could I lose my job as as everything kind of demand for, you know, our resource oil dries up, controls in our mitigations that we can't have as many people up at site and only essential people 
required. So we had people laid off and just a lot of uncertainty and then even disconnect with people either having to stay longer or else they'd be isolated when they get home and they wouldn't be with their with their partners. Like I know I myself ended up going through a divorce after after the pandemic, just the disconnect. And that was very hard emotionally and mentally for for me. And I'm not the only one. Like my my story was definitely not unique. There are numerous people that have very similar stories that I've talked to. Yeah, yeah, it 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 is one of those unfortunate things. The FIFO industry does have large amounts of marriages that don't survive for whatever reasons. Even more than in general society, I'd suggest. But also, one of the things we found in such a big country over here as the FIFO industry is seems to be an awfully well, an awfully significant suicide rate amongst FIFO workers. Is that the same over there? Yeah, we. I don't have any stats on that. I was just looking at some stats out of the states, and they looked at. So they have the national violent death. I forget the the acronym for it. It's a registry where everything's recorded, and this was something that I just learned probably this last week. But in the in the United States, in the mining and oil and gas extraction industry the suicide rate is double of that for men than in the general population so general population was 27 per 100,000 and in the mining and oil and gas extraction sector it's 54 per 100,000 mm. so a significant significant jump in that all right i'm going to ask you a bit of a oh, i don't know controversial question in your opinion does the extra money now the ex let's be honest with FIFO, the extra money is there because you're actually doing extra hours as well. You're usually doing long shifts, seven mm -hmm. days a week while you're on site. Does the extra money you get in FIFO in any way come close to compensating you for the time away from home and perhaps the the damage to relationships? that occurs? That is a very tough question. I think, so from my personal perspective right now, I could, I could look at it and say, no, it hasn't. I've had kind of two marriages not work out for completely different reasons. And, but the other side of it is I look at it and I, and I've talked to people that have had, you know, successful relationships, successful careers. And some of the things that they had was they had a lot more information going in, whether from some peers that went in, or even they just were, to begin with, better communicators within their relationships. Because oftentimes people ask, have asked, told me, says, well, you guys get paid so much and you guys don't deserve the money. And I, I'm kind of challenged and I'll say, okay, would you work away from home, miss birthdays, miss anniversaries, miss Christmases, significant events, you know, and sometimes you're not there for a loss of a loved one if there's, you know, an emergency or anything like that. And those are very high stress moments that it'll either take you a day or more to get home. And, and it's very difficult because you, you don't feel like you're there. And like you said earlier, you have, you miss out on a lot of a lot of things but i think if we go in knowing a little bit better and if another aspect of it is is very few people particularly in the resource sector 
you know, we don't teach it in schools is to be good stewards of our money when we make it. Mm -hmm. So then people definitely don't have an exit strategy when they enter this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think had I known, had the me of today been able to speak to the me of yesterday, there's a lot of things I would have told, told myself. And I definitely would have been able to, had I been, a lot better with with the money because oftentimes we use the money and and I'll say retail therapy to cope with the holes and the guilt that we feel for not being there. It's like, oh, you know what? We should get a new car. Oh, we should get. I think you guys call them caravans down there, but we'll get a trailer and we'll go camping when I'm when I'm home. And the disconnect is for partners that also work and children that have school. They don't have the same time off like you do hmm. because you go home and then they still have to carry on with their day-to-day -day life. And then you're kind of on your own that way too. So disconnects that way. Do I think it's worth it? I think if, if we plan it properly, then, you know, I think it's a great lifestyle and, uh, but you need to have the right partner the right kind of communication. I think you need professionals engaged early, like whether it be counselors for, for yourself or marriage counselors to help you or relationship counselors to help you be a better or more effective parent in fly in, fly out. And also financial advisors to help you be a better steward of your money, because this is a cyclical industry that I'm in and there are boom, boom and bust cycles. You know, we sometimes call it the golden handcuffs oh, because yes. you get get stuck in the lifestyle and you can't get out. You have to make that income because now you've got, oh, you've got the caravan, you've got the boat, you've got the car, you've got the, the nice house and you've got all the toys, but you haven't got a rainy day fund. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen so many people, particularly younger people, they start off and they get all of a sudden an incredible salary and they they assume it's going to be there forever. And when it's not, they've got nothing left. They've, they've literally blown all of that money on living it up while they can, but now that there's no nothing there to actually support them. Do you think it would be better for people who, when they're first signing on for a FIFO job, if they actually had counsellors or something there who explained to them what sort of pressures they may be under, what sort of stresses it might put on things, or do you think that would actually just scare everyone off and no one would ever sign up for these jobs? I, I actually think it would it would encourage people. Kind of when I started my website, and like I said earlier, what would the me of today tell the me of yesterday was is I looked at it and I kind of thought about it as a safety professional up here. You know, we prepare people to do routine daily work out here and they have to do a job safety analysis, mm. right? For say shoveling snow. That's a very common winter thing to do up here. And and I thought to myself, you know, that's that's a day-to-day -day thing. And most people living here in Canada already understand that. And I said, well, we, we still tell them the hazards, but we don't really tell them that when they sign on to this lifestyle, which has, you know, huge impact in their lives, both incredibly beneficial impacts, but also some of the ones that are kind of hidden, the negative ones that can happen. So I was kind of thinking, okay, what would what, what, what should we do? And I do think if we had a more robust onboarding process that included, okay, you know, you know, like a counselor that would say, okay, these are some of the things, this is 
some of the things that you might find in your experience, you'll feel homesick. You might have a loss of connection with your partner. The transition of going to work is hard as well as the transition. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Returning back to home to that is as you reintegrate back into your, your home environment, as well as what's it going to be like for your kids, right? And also, these are the things that you need to watch out for is, is yeah, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's not going to be, it's cyclical, and there are boom and bust cycles. So you do plan for a rainy day fund. So those are those things that I think would, would help people and encourage them to do better in this industry, to thrive in this industry. There's a fellow out of Australia, his name is John Toomey, and he wrote a book in it for the long haul, making the most of the FIFO lifestyle. And that was something that I think if we look at, at uh, preparing people, it'd be nice to have like almost like a pocket guide in a way. It sounds really funny, but... FIFO for dummies would, would really help out a lot of people, I think. Yeah. If we did do sort of counselling or advising people before they started FIFO roles, would it be a good idea to include people's partners? I think that is super important. So we were able to bring up as a trial basis, brought up a psychologist and a uh, social worker up to site to provide counseling to our employees and our contracted workforce. At first, we weren't sure how it would be received because, again, asking for help was something hard, hard to do. And we thought, well, it's a small camp and people would eventually find out. But one of the things is we found in the year that we trialed it, excuse me, over 368 sessions over 155 first-time users of a mental health service. So there was a demand, there was a, there, there was a need, and looking at trying to take down the barriers to access and help reduce the stigma of, of asking for help, being open with talking about what you're feeling. And it's, it's, been, it's been a benefit that we've found, the feedback that we've gotten. And yes, and we are trialing it in other sites as well as a as a kind of a, a benefit to to being here so yeah i think it's it's super important to have some have those resources available yeah because i know when i started i did the whole positive spin to my wife I, I was basically you know she didn't want me to go and work away obviously but i did the whole positive spin about you know i get all this extra time at home and da 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 
And once you paint that positive picture, it's really hard to then go back to them and say, I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling this and that and blah, 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 because you've you've painted that rosy little portrait of what the situation is. At one stage here, my wife said, you know, you're living a boy's own adventure. You go off, you don't do your washing, you don't do your cleaning, you don't do your cooking. You can go and have fun with your mates and uh, then you come home, you know, you're basically tired for a few days you spend a few days of quality time with us and then you start to do this whole emotional disconnect as you're getting ready to go away again. So I would have I would have loved to have something there to actually advise not only myself but my, my wife what the true situation is because it's not always beer and skittles, a lot of fun out there, is it? It's 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 hard, demanding, tiring work. Yeah, absolutely. And like our site is a dry site. So, so no alcohol or anything like that. And yeah, there is no, there, you know, it's not how people imagine it for sure. So that's another thing that I would encourage organizations to do is, is develop almost like a, some, you know, a day in the life videos of, okay, what's it like at camp? What's it like kind of at work What you know, and, and it's very important, Tom, like you said, to integrate the partners, because there are our families, there are natural support networks. Like I remember when I first came up here to work for one of the oil majors, I came up and I said, wow, I've made it, you know, the big leagues and I'm big oil now. And I had this, this wily grizzled veteran out of, out of, out of the States. So it was kind of the stereotype out of Texas. And he said, kid, you ain't big oil yet. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, you're, and at the time I was, I was in my first marriage and he says, you're not big oil till you've got a couple of divorces under your belt. <laughs> so I guess I can say now that I am officially big oil, not something I'm necessarily proud of that it's cost that much. And that takes a huge emotional, mental and a tremendous financial toll on you because you essentially start over every time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. All right. What's, What's the accommodation like where you are? You know, it's the best camp that I've been at. I've been at some other camps where, you know, you have your own private bathroom, your own room. So you're not having like in the old days, what we called gang showers or like, <laughs> you know, high school locker room showers where everybody showers together. And no, you know, we've got TVs, the beds, you know, they're not, they're not your bed. So that's the one thing. So sleep is a little bit disruptive. You know, you're, you're awake a lot just because for instance, I wake up at three 30 in the morning to get ready to, to go to work and I'm back at camp by, by six o'clock. So long days, we have gym facilities and we can run around the camp outside when the weather's nice. The food, you know, it's, it, it's typical industrialized kind of camp food. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's good, I would say, but definitely not how we, it's not how you eat when you when you're at home. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So you don't have those comforts. Speaking of food, how important if you've probably been in a few camps over your time, how important is food for morale of the staff? Good food. Oh, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. You know, having good food, good selection of food healthy food as well as some of the you know the comfort foods or what we call pub style foods like burgers and fries and and that kind of stuff are 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 very important 
as well as healthy lunches. Again, there's a huge correlation between physical health and mental health and vice versa. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of work done in that field. Yeah. So there's that, you know, one of the things is that's kind of said is don't mess, don't mess with my pay. Don't mess with my room, my accommodations, and don't mess with my food. Those are kind of the holy triumvirate to keep workers happy. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been at camps where you've been basically at the end of your swing you have to take all your stuff with you and depart and that room becomes someone else's. Yeah. So right now, yeah, that's how it was my first six years at site. Then you just take everything out, put it into you like a big duffel bag and then it'd go into storage and then you take your small backpack and then fly home. Now I'm in what's called apartment style and I keep my room and I have, there's a locked locker and a couple drawers that you can put locks on and then you just leave your clothes in there and that's that's something that's helpful makes it feel a little bit more like home I've talked to folks and they you know bring pillows or say like a scarf that has like their partner's perfume on it just some things that remind them of home or even some comfort foods that are are from home because we have a fridge and a little coffee maker in the rooms so anything that can make your accommodations feel more home-like is is very important good good i understand you've done some public speaking lately how did uh, that go nerves nerves at all well yeah of course some of the challenges is you hope you do a good job representing the community and and the people that you're wanting to kind of try and share our, our stories our fly in fly out stories so yeah so i did the one for the american industrial hygiene hygienist association that went that went really well be giving doing part of part of a workers panel on an upcoming one for the for niosh out of the states and that one there has a whole section on psychosocial impacts in the oil and gas extraction industry. So that one there, there's a few of us that are going to share our lived experience of fly in, fly out. And that one's coming up on the 12th here of April. Okay, cool. All right. You've been a safety professional for over two decades. What's the most challenging situation you've dealt with? Hmm. Honestly, I've been pretty pretty blessed that I haven't had like a a major, like a very serious incident. And I won't say the, the F word. And the one thing is, is honestly challenging is when you have teams that aren't really working well as teams. So for instance, if the relationship between the contractor and the owner, for instance, if those relationships are strained, whether contractually or the work itself, and even just the, the, the workers, if they're if they're not feeling supported by their management and you're kind of stuck in between as as a health and safety professional, we're kind of that link in between at times the the leadership, some of the leadership and the workers, and particularly in in moments of of when we talk about safety. Yeah, because yeah. we can meet the bare we can meet the bare minimum, but sometimes we, we have to make sure that we do better than the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, because our people deserve more than the bare minimum. Yeah. All right. Working in the oil industry. Hmm, I've never done it. So uh, what's some of the unique challenges you face working with oil? It's, it's super cyclical. Like you'll go through boom and bust cycles where like when I was younger, you know, you're, you're gone all the time. You come home, you've made all this really great money. 
you don't know what to do with it. You've never been taught. You know, it's more money than you've seen your parents make. And then you kind of feel really a little high on the hog. And then what happens is when, when this, when the, and you live, you live to that income. And then the problem is, is when the market kind of crashes, then you're not making that money anymore. And part of your identity is so tied to that. Mm-hmm. I think particularly as the main breadwinner in the family, you tend to, you tend to really take that and and that's when your mental and emotional health kind of spirals because then you start questioning your worth because you tie it to your income and what you do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, if, I'm guessing you will have done quite a few investigations in your time. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, nothing, nothing. You know, like the like the like a a serious fatality or anything like that or like a fatality they're all serious but all right what's some of the traps you've seen newer people newer to the industry fall into when they start investigating incidents oftentimes they're so eager to do a good job that they don't stop to ask questions or to let or to acknowledge that they don't know they'll do their best and like anything like the road to the road to hell is paved with good intentions oftentimes a lot of mistakes are made not because workers are being lazy or anything um or trying to take a shortcut is they're trying to do the best job that they can whether and oftentimes as management with they may not have the right information they may not have all the tools they need or there may might be some time pressures and that's something that's that as as leadership that directs the work have to be very cognizant that they don't put those time pressures on the workers because mm. that's where mistakes happen, right? Yeah, true. Any useful tools that you use when you're carrying out investigations? For me, one of the things is first to understand the work. So you bring in your the people that do the work, uh, talk to them. Don't don't go in. Don't go in with your there's confirmation bias, right? Mm. So if you try, if you try and go in and you think, oh, I already know what happens or what happened, then your investigation will be flawed because you'll find, you'll try and find information or have the information lead to you, to your conclusion that you've already made in your head. Be as objective as you can, bring in, bring in the experts that know how to do the work and ask lots of questions. Yeah, good. Good. Now, Talked about confirmation bias. If you're a safety professional, you're on site. Part of your job is to actually know and build relationships with the people on the, the sharp end. How hard is it, therefore, when you do an investigation, when, when you're in the evidence gathering stage, to remain completely free of bias? Well, that's that's the that's one of the biggest tricks is is to go in, you know. Asquites like we use a lot of the Taproot software yep. Yep. for the more serious investigations. Taproot or else the Five Y for lesser ones, and those actually do a pretty good job of of keeping you honest and keeping some of that that bias out of the investigation. Is using the different tools. There's also the DNV at right that that we use or some of our contractors use. So for instance, we'll investigate our own investigations. We tend to just be there as support for if it's a contractor investigation. 
and we're just there as as support or or subject matter expert, experts in the field like i'm for up here in canada i'm a ground disturbance subject matter expert for for my organization so those are those areas where i'll assist a little bit more but yeah just use the tools that you have yeah yeah would it be useful to get someone independent from the site who doesn't know the personalities and the people involved to help yeah so usually our process is when we do have a very serious investigation you know we'll assist with collecting kind of the hard evidence the documentation some pictures and stuff like that but we'll bring somebody from our our central our central safety security health and environment group out of our head office and they'll come to site they're not site based and then they'll we'll just assist with the investigation and they'll take over that aspect good good all right, I've got time for one more question. All right, and it's a it's it's an interesting question. How hard have you found it to be to get senior management to provide the resources, the required resources necessary to provide, at the very least, the minimum of a safe workplace for the people that work there? Well, one of the things is is uh, show them the business case for it. So, for instance, you know, again, as part of a very large oil major that's learned a lot in the past from some major incidents, we have a very robust safety management system. But let's say, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say in this example, say to provide, to bring the counselors up to provide counseling for our workers, right? I actually used a study out of Western Australia, the one that was done there, I think it was 2000. 13 and it showed that the return on investment for every dollar spent on mental health initiatives was five dollars and seventy cents and uh, and that was specifically in the construction mining in that in that sector that we're in so using that and showing how that impacts the duration say of long-term and short-term disability claims um that helps show a business case for it. And if you can do that and you also demonstrate, hey, this is the best way we 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 don't harm our people. Like we do believe our people are our greatest asset. And like I said, that's probably one of the reasons why we, you know, we haven't had a lot of really serious incidents. You know, like we, we treat a uh, cut finger quite seriously. So like even all the way up to, you know, the VPs of the company know as soon as somebody gets like a cut to their finger, right? So leadership is very engaged. Oh, excellent, excellent. Francesco Valenzuela, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today and we've run out of time, but I do look forward to speaking to you again soon. Well, thank you very much, Tom. It was great talking with you. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Hello, listener. Is it me you're looking for? As brands, we're always wanting to make a connection, to find the person you can rely on, the one that's there every week, month, or year, and always has your back when you need them the most. It's a little like matchmaking, don't you think? With ACAST podcast ads, you can filter for your exact dream audience so you can find the ideal customer for your business. The Romeo to your Juliet, the Rachel to your Ross, the Bert to your Ernie. 
and avoid those red flags and time wasters. Your ads can communicate with them in the most intimate way possible. A one-on-one conversation, a chance meeting in the gym, or a coffee shop. So go on, give it a try. With over hundreds of thousands of listens a month, your person is probably here. Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com to get started.